You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. This podcast is sponsored by Receptiva DX. Receptiva DX is a powerful test that can help detect inflammatory conditions on the uterine lining that might be preventing you from becoming pregnant or staying pregnant. If you've experienced implantation failure or multiple miscarriages, ask your doctor about Receptiva DX. Uterine inflammation, if found, can be treated, providing a new pathway to achieving a successful pregnancy. Receptivity DX, because the journey's worth it. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Carrie Beanant with the Fertility Center of Las Vegas with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I am joined by my two absolutely adorable partners, uh, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Thanks, Carrie. Hi. And Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And we are joined today by Amanda Lassane from Progeny, and she has a a very extensive fertility history that, um, especially hearing from so many of of our listeners who've had questions of, I have done this, and I have done this, and I have done this, and now what do I do? Um, Amanda's story, I think, will be very helpful for many people, particularly in the not giving up hope variety. But um, before we get to that part of it, Amanda, we were talking to you ahead of time and found out that there is a a major influence in in your household's <laughs> life, from the be- really from the beginning until yeah. now. And, um, and that plays as much of a role as all of the fertility stuff has over the years. So thank you so much for joining us today. That's right. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Um, I'm certainly thrilled to have this conversation. I know fertility coverage is really important to a lot of people as they navigate this journey. Mm. So I look forward to sharing more about progeny and then also sharing kind of how my story interlaces with that, um, but yes, my uh, fun fact about myself is um, that I actually earned a full scholarship to play soccer in college um, at College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and I met my husband there uh, who also played soccer and soccer plays a huge part of our lives where he still professionally coaches today. So um, it's a huge component of our lives and, um, uh, and we certainly love it. And a lot of people don't know that about me. That's neat. Yeah. So what is like the biggest soccer game you've ever been to? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, The biggest one I've probably been to is we went to an AC Milan Juventus game um, in Milan, which was really amazing. Yeah. And we've been to England a couple of times games and then, and been to, I I can't even name the number of soccer games I've been to. So, um, but I, but I definitely love it, and it helps that I played because I cannot imagine being married to a coach if you did not play the sport. That would be so hard. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Do you travel much with the team, or with little two little ones at home? Probably not so much. Yeah, I don't anymore. I used to. I used to go along to a lot of the games. Um, yeah. But now it's a little bit more complex to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a Nashville FC um, season yeah. ticket holder, but I wish I knew a little bit more about soccer. <laughs> I need to pick up a soccer for dummies book. I think my son played <laughs> soccer in, in high school, but it was just, I, I don't know a lot of the ins and outs of it. So that's really yeah. exciting. Yeah. It's just fun. It's a fun environment to be a part of. And I, in communities like Nashville, where it's just kind of getting off the ground, yeah. I think people are really supporting it. So it's really yeah. neat. 
Have you um, have you watched the Wrexham series with Ryan Reynolds and all of that and building? Yeah, is it good? I have heard wonderful things about. I've only watched like a little bit of the first one because TV does not rank very highly on things that I get to do on my daily life. Um, but it, part of it is because I know nothing about um, soccer at all, but I do dearly love Ryan Reynolds. And yes. so I was thinking about watching it just because I love Ryan Reynolds. And so, <laughs> so is this like a drama and, or is it a drama or? No, he bought this team along with another guy. Oh, and yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. Okay they're putting it back together. And so I'm always curious with things like that of how much is reality and how much is reality yeah. TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The number of people on another note that tell us to watch Ted Lasso is pretty Ted, That's what I was just going to say. I'm like, I know nothing about this one, but Ted Lasso, that's what I think about. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of like watching medical dramas for yes. us and like, okay, Same. we do yeah, this we all did. the time. We don't yeah, need it. Thanks very much. Medical dramas. <laughs> all right. So Susan, do we have questions for today? We do. We do. Let's do one question today. It says, hi, thank you for all you do. I know there's no right answer, but as someone who likes to balance optimism with realism so I can plan ahead, I want to know what point we should stop trying with IVF. I'm 36 with an AMH level of 0.01, which which I'm told is very low for my age. I'm otherwise healthy. My last round of IVF resulted in two follicles and one egg, which made it to fertilization, but did not develop after that. What my husband and I are now evaluating is the decision to spend money on one more round of IVF, a third round, or pivoting our plan to adoption and possibly embryo adoption. Would love your perspective. You know, I have a much different perspective now because of progeny that I did like say two years ago, because, you know, Nashville, we would have maybe people would go through maybe one, maybe two cycles at the most. And after that, they just couldn't afford to do any more. And as we were talking about earlier, progeny, particularly in Nashville, has just been tremendous in terms of offering patients, um, you know, to do multiple cycles. And so, I've seen people like this that normally I would have discouraged from ever even doing the first IVF cycle with a really low egg number. Um, You know, my gut feeling is, and now I've seen patients sometimes do way more than I kind of think they should. And I've seen them do, you know, maybe just one. I think that the sweet spot is at least two, maybe three. And I I say that primarily because we have a huge population now that have progeny coverage. So as we talked about before, I don't have to worry so much about talking to them about the cost. It's more the medical aspect of it and the psychological aspect, which is tremendous. It has made a huge difference for our practice in terms of the number of patients that we can see and the number of people that have access to care. So kind of my short answer would be, I would at least do it twice. If it were me personally, because maybe the stimulation can be altered a little bit. I mean, granted, your AMH is really low, but I think if you ask all three of us, We've seen that one in a million patient that we thought would never stimulate, never do very well, and we see it happen. And so for me, I would at least say two, maybe if you have progeny coverage, maybe three, um, but probably not more than that. I I think this is kind of one of those where your heart and your brain meet and you have to do what is the right thing for you and your partner and what when you look back at this 20 years from now, whether you're successful or not, and be like, yes, this was the right decision for us. And and, and people make that decision based on lots of factors. And um, so, you know, you, you've already been through two cycles. And so that third one, I mean, it's, it, it is often, it is, it is not only a lot 
financially, if you're having to finance it, going through IVF is it, it's an it's an emotional toil. I, I mean, it's there's so much riding on it, and it is stressful. Um, but what you can get out of it can be absolutely amazing for the rest of your life. So I don't think that this is a right versus wrong answer. I think it's a where where is your heart leading you answer. Um, you know, and if you decide, hey, getting pregnant with my own eggs isn't the most important thing for me at this point. It's more important for me to ideally have a positive outcome and have a baby, whether that is through conventional adoption or embryo adoption or donor egg or what, what, whatever you have, or even child-free living, you know, that, that right answer is, is the one that is for the two of you. So to back up just a little bit, because we have talked about, we have said progeny, uh, you know, a half a dozen times already. <laughs> And part of the reason why we asked Amanda to to come on is because progeny is such a different system than than really anything else. It's very different from cash pay. It's very different from kind of a standard insurance system. And it's something that patients have a little bit more ability to advocate for with their own employers. And so, um, Amanda, can you give us the the two-line explanation of what is progeny and how how, why are, why do we have you here today rather than just some random insurance person or somebody who's paying out of pocket? Yeah. So, you know, Progeny provides comprehensive fertility coverage that's really equitable across a population and gives people the opportunity to really focus on their care and not necessarily mm-hmm. be thinking about the uh, dollars and cents that are included within their fertility coverage. So, Everything that somebody would need from start to finish of a recommended treatment cycle will be provided to them in the fertility coverage that's offered through Progeny. Um, We partner with self-insured employers, and then they provide it to their employees as a benefit. And we came to the market about six years ago and came to the market because the way traditional medical carriers had been approaching fertility care was just really broken. Um, They really Mm -hmm. approached it in that dollar cap maximum uh, set up. And that was just not efficient for not only the patients, but also employers. Um, they weren't getting good outcomes on both sides. And so Progeny came into existence to help improve outcomes for both patients and employers. Can you explain kind of about what self-insured employers are? So our our, our listeners who can kind of figure out, hey, is my employer a yeah. self-employed, um, uh, self-insured employer? <laughs> yeah. So it's something that a lot of people don't realize or don't know about their employer. So um, I would say that's very common to not know whether your employer is self-insured or not. Um, I would say the majority of larger employers, so probably somewhere over 500 or over 1,000 employees, if you have that, it's likely that they're self-insured. And hmm. it's just basically the, the mechanism of which they pay for insurance. Um, so essentially, they're assuming all the risk for their healthcare um, when they are self-insured. Um, other employers might be fully insured that are smaller because they can't um, basically manage or mitigate as much risk as a self-insured employer can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say if you work for a larger company, it's likely you're self-insured, um, but it's an easy question that you can ask your HR team. And the majority of Progeny customers are self-insured. Um, we do have a few fully insured customers today, and I think are expanding into that a little bit more, but I would say our primary book of business looks like self-insured employers. So Susan and Abby, because both of your clinics use Progeny, how how is it different for you when you have a patient coming in with Progeny versus traditional insurance or self-pay? Do you want to take this first, Abby, or I can go? 
Sure. I will say that it is in the state of Tennessee, and I've practiced now here for 20 years, it has made a tremendous difference. It has been, I'm trying to think of an equivalent, life altering, I guess, for patients and for physicians. We are so busy right now. We've done, I mean, it's just because all these patients can now get in and have progeny coverage. We're seeing so many people from all walks of life that are now able to afford the care they really need. You know, I've had several patients that like realized all of a sudden that their employer carried it and they like maybe had seen me five years ago and they couldn't afford to do IVF. They're like, well, we're at the end of the line. We can't afford to do IVF. So many people that have now been able to create families that never had the ability to do that. And the nice thing from a physician standpoint is, you know, it, you, you feel a little less bad if say a patient doesn't have a great outcome from their first IVF cycle, like say they only get just a few eggs or they don't have good fertilization, kind of like our, you know, what our question was about you feel a little less bad because you know, well, if they really want to do this again, they can do this again and they don't have to plunk out $20,000 again to do this process. So it's been really um, fabulous, fabulous overall, you know, for all of our patients and for physicians. We just feel like we can give more care now to, to more people from all walks of life that I've ever been able to do in my whole career. So it's it's great. It's fabulous. So I would say that it has changed a little. I, I do counsel my progeny patients sometimes a little bit more differently than I do my other patients. One, because not only... So in Texas, most people have diagnostic coverage. Most people don't have treatment coverage. So the diagnostic portion um, tends to be very similar. When we start talking about treatments, um, I generally don't talk insurance with my patients. I do talk insurance a little bit with my progeny patients because... Um, progeny patients are assigned um, a certain number of what's called smart cycles generally. Um, and that helps them figure out how much treatment coverage they have. And I think the biggest change in my practice has been I I am I'm of course focusing on this pregnancy, but I have definitely started even with my non-progeny patients just because I, I tend to do similar things, is I am now focusing on what a person or couple's family goal is and not just saying, okay, you're 34 and you want to have a baby right now and I need to focus on helping make that baby right now, okay? Because most people out of pocket aren't going to be able to plan for those other children. They're going to just kind of deal with it when it comes. Whereas with my progeny patients, especially, I can be like, what are you know? I'm the, what I tell my patients is, in your perfect world, not in the world where you're sitting here having a lovely conversation with me. <laughs> how many children do you want to have? And if you're sitting there at 34, 35, and you tell me you want to have three or four children, how we use that progeny benefit for your entire family building goal is going to be very different than if you come in and you're like, I want to have one kid and I'm done. Because some people, that's all they want, you know, and that's that's perfectly fine, but it helps us figure out what's going to be the best path, like I said, for that whole, for their whole reproductive life and not just focusing on this baby here and now. So Amanda, going back to what we referenced at the very beginning of this, um, kind of all the progeny stuff aside, you you have had quite the journey of 
fertility <laughs> treatment and how do you build how do you build a family? You've, you've and, seen both sides of the story. Yes, <laughs> you well, and then some. Um, yeah. Like you, you have kind of hit all of the things that we do. And so, what for our listeners? Tell please tell us what you have been through and and how and where you are today. Yeah, I try to do this in like a condensed version as much as I can, but there's like little details that I always <laughs> want to share. So if there's something you want me to expand upon, let me know. Um, so we started trying to build our family in 2013. And when we started that process, I was uh, 27. So I was really young, um, but my FSH was high um, for my age. And but I didn't have any coverage at the time. And so when you're 27 years old, like knowing you have to go through IVF seems unattainable, right? Like I did not yeah. have savings available to tap into. And I think a lot of people face this like first medical crisis that you don't expect yourself to be in, right? And I was a college athlete. My husband was a college athlete. Like I thought this never could be our situation. And so we tried um, IUI a few times. That was not successful. And then we decided because we needed to move forward with IVF that we would find kind of a lower cost treatment option of a clinic. Um, and I think because we were facing kind of so much cash pressure at the time, we had to make that decision. And, you know, looking back now at everything that I know, I probably never would have done that. Right. <laughs> but that's where I was at the time. And I think a lot of fertility patients tend to be in that kind of place. Um, and then, you know, that cycle didn't work. That was the first cycle that we the first IVF cycle that we did. We continued, we moved a few times and then found a new reproductive endocrinologist. We did uh, three more rounds of IVF. Um, and I ended up having kind of a diminished ovarian reserve diagnosis. So we had to do a lot of rounds because I wasn't getting a lot of um, embryos from each cycle. I would maybe get one, transfer mm -hmm. one, it wouldn't work. Um, and so we did four cycles of IVF, all cash pay. Um, wow. And that was... <laughs> really taxing. I did that from, I think, 27 to 30. And when we did that, once we got to our fourth round and that didn't work, I was in a pretty dark place with it. And so we actually shifted gears and we looked to do donor eggs at that point. My sister actually decided to donate her eggs to us, which oh. is amazing process. Um, and she's older than me and produced way more eggs than I did. And we went through that whole process um, and we actually got a grant to go through that process um, because we were completely like out of cash at that point. Um, and that didn't work. And Aww. so we were like completely lost at that point. We shifted to find out I had endometriosis, had surgery for endometriosis, um, was diagnosed with stage three endometriosis after that had that removed um, up with a provider in New York City. And then after that, um, we ended up actually looking to do a surrogate. Um, so we had the embryo created um, from my egg um, and my husband's sperm, hired or found somebody to be a surrogate that ended up failing again. Oh, wow. Too many Christmas. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, I, I, See, I can tell you're a college athlete because you never give up. You just keep yeah. going, 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 going. Well, <laughs> it's great. It seems crazy at the time. And like going back to that person's question that they asked, I think it's so personal to you. Like what is going to work for you, for you? And I had this 
burning kind of like desire inside of me that wouldn't stop. And not everybody feels that or feels like mm-hmm. you can continue with that. Yeah. That's and that's okay. Like that is perfectly fine if you're that patient. It just wasn't for me. So for me, I felt like I needed to keep going and I tried to kind of like exhaust every which way. Um, once we went through that kind of failed surrogacy journey, um, we found a different reproductive endocrinologist um, in Dr. Peter Klatsky at Spring Fertility in San Francisco, California. Um, And I was guided to him through some resources at Progeny because of my specific case and kind of what he focuses on. And um, I went through three retrievals in California and we were able to create um, beautiful embryos from that process. I still didn't get a lot of um, eggs, but they turned into beautiful embryos. And in 2020, uh, January of 2020, we transferred uh, an embryo and my daughter um, was born in September of 2020. Um, and so nine rounds of IVF, she finally wow. is here. Now, the latter half of your fertility journey was with coverage and not self-pay at that point. Correct. So after we, I think it was after that donor where we got the grant, I actually had moved on and started working at Progeny after that. And so I was able to go through six, seven, eight, nine, um, those rounds um, of treatment with Progeny coverage. So I was able to really see what the difference is of when you are cash and the decisions you have to make and some sacrifices that you almost have to make versus when you have coverage. So I'm just curious emotionally when you had coverage for fertility treatment versus when you didn't, did that? I mean, I know you still obviously had anxiety and stress because you were worried about the outcome, but I I do find that people are a little bit more kind of relaxed and a little bit more laid back because they don't feel like, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work, I can't afford to do another cycle. Is that kind of the experience you had as well? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And like, I always think about this. I have this screenshot on my phone and this screenshot on my phone is a picture of, you know, like when you get your Amex or your credit card statements and it comes up on your phone and it shows how much you charge at Starbucks or wherever. (laughs) And it was my fertility clinic and it said $16,500. And I took a screenshot because I was like, when in my life have I ever seen that, right? Like you're only looking at a Starbucks charge. And so you go from that situation to not seeing that really at all. And that is a huge game changer to feel like you can continue and feel like you can pursue what you want to achieve. And like my daughter would not be here Mm -hmm. without progeny coverage. Absolutely. And of course, some fortitude on my part too, but like she would not be here because we couldn't have continued to keep going. And that, that, that part to me is so wild to think about is mm-hmm. that the insurance has that much influence on yes, people's absolutely. outcomes, you know? So if you happen to work for a company <laughs> <laughs> that is self-insured and has progeny, that's great. But what, what would you say to our listeners who yeah. don't work for a company like that? What, what words of advice do you have for them? Yeah. So I think that one of the most powerful things that people have in this case is your voice that you can use. Mm -hmm. And on a daily basis, my job is to speak with benefits leaders or HR teams about progeny and why they should include fertility coverage in their Mm -hmm. benefits package. 
And 65% of employers that added fertility coverage added it because somebody asked for it. So that is very powerful and it's scary, right? Like it is scary to say to your employer, I'm trying to get pregnant and I'm struggling, right? Like that's a scary proposition. And like people don't even share it with their family and friends, unless their boss. (laughs) Yes. So there are some resources that we have as well as um, Resolve also has some really great resources that help people navigate that path, whether they want to do it anonymously or they want to do it with their own voice. But regardless, your voice matters, whether you actually use your name or you use, you know, are anonymous and asking for it. I had two patients that successfully negotiated to have their employer use progeny because I, and I usually tell patients if they say, oh, I don't have coverage or they work for a big company, I'm like, well, here, let me write it down. P-R-O-G-Y-N-Y. <laughs> Go tell them that you want progeny coverage because it is, I tell them it's not the Cadillac coverage, it's the Bentley coverage in Nashville for <laughs> fertility. It's amazing. And I'd be interested to hear from your standpoint, Amanda. I have a lot of patients who really brag about how helpful progeny is for them and progeny will reach out to them and remind them about appointments. And can you speak to that a little bit? Because I don't really understand exactly what progeny does, but but the patients really love working with your providers for sure. Yeah. So one of kind of the foundational elements of progeny is that every patient has access to what's called a patient care advocate. And so that's a real human being that works at progeny. And they are assigned to every individual who calls into Progeny to learn more about the benefit. And you're assigned one person. So you actually have their name, their phone number, their email. It's not the random person you get. No. Yeah, like (laughs) you think about the last time you talked to an insurance company, obviously you don't remember that person's name you talked to, right? And Progeny looks very different. People build relationships with their patient care advocates because you're sharing something so intimate with them Mm -hmm. about building your family. And so on average, our patients talk to their patient care advocate about 15 times in their journey. And so Uh it's really there for education. So to help them maybe understand their clinical condition, if they didn't write down everything at their doctor's appointment, um, (laughs) it's helping them understand, you know, their appointments that are upcoming, what they can expect from their medication that they have. So really somebody to hold your hand throughout the process. And it makes a world of a difference also emotionally to have somebody to support you that actually knows what's going on, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that is a huge component of the benefit. And it's really fun. We get to see what people say about their patient care advocates. Like you write reviews and always there's glowing and people say such nice things about our patient care advocate team. They are incredible. And a lot of them are former fertility nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, or worked in a clinic setting. So they have a background of um, working with fertility patients. But it's been funny a couple of different times. I'll tell a patient when I see him now, remember, you've got to do that, that, that. Oh, yeah, my patient advocate already, already <laughs> reminded me about that. I'm like, oh, great. So they really are really helpful for physicians too. We really appreciate that extra support for patients. It really sure. helps a lot. So Amanda, I am curious as to when you were doing the first half of this uh, epic journey here, <laughs> What were the things that you cut back on versus the things that later on you were like, yes, I can do this. Yes, I can add this. And, you know, aside from the whole cycle itself, which is huge, but what were the more nuanced things that you were like, no, I just can't do this because I can't afford it. Or later on, yeah, I can do this because it's the right thing to do. And I just couldn't do it up until now. I'm going to add in, can you also comment a little bit about like your first cycle? You said you did a lesser cost IVF and what that really (laughs) means in the real world. 
Yes, absolutely. I can say that. Um, so I think, you know, when you when you're making decisions based on finances, you're not making decisions necessarily based on quality, right? Because you're solely focused on these dollars and cents and not necessarily focused on the outcome. And I think that's the biggest difference um, in the journey. And so some examples for me personally that I saw um, is number one, the first is choosing a lower cost clinic that maybe didn't have the outcomes that were good because the cost was more efficient for me at the time. So I think that I navigated to that more quickly because I was so worried about dollars and cents. And so I think, you know, my recommendation to people navigating this now is to really look at SART data and understand what are the outcomes of the providers that I'm going to see and make sure it's the right match for you before you move forward with treatment. Because once you're once you're there, like you're moving forward with that practice, right? And so you're able to kind of you should ask more questions up front before you kind of commit to a practice. So just to add in, SART data is the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technologies, and you can actually go on the CDC website and look up success rates for different clinics, correct? Yep, exactly, exactly. And so, you know, for a progeny patient, they have access to obviously a network of providers that progeny is already curated and looked Mm -hmm. at outcomes, figured out which providers are the ones that are optimal to potentially work with. So we've kind of done that heavy lifting so patients don't have to think about that. I'd like to say that's really nice because quite honestly, it's hard for reproductive endocrinologists to understand SART data, much less (laughs) people who this is not what they do every day. So when we say... Oh, go just just check out SART data and see which one you think is the best. Like that, that honestly is a pretty big ask. Yeah. I mean, anybody could actually go to Progeny's website too mm-hmm. and look at our network. Like anybody, yeah. you don't have to have access to Progeny to do that. So that would be a, a nice, safe kind of bet um, to help somebody too. There's a lot of nuances in all of that data, yes. both SART and CDC, that even when you think, oh, this is obviously the better one. It's really not for a multitude yeah. of reasons that uh, an average person just isn't going to know. And it's it's even hard for us who do know, wait a minute, there's there's a bias there. This is not right. This is not really accurate. Yeah. If you want to see a really hot conversation, pick, put a hundred REIs in a room and be like, <laughs> let's discuss how SART data works. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if I shift back to the question on kind of some, you know, sacrifices that I made in my treatment. Some other examples would be, it was a different time, but I did transfer multiple embryos um, in my early IVF cycles. It was um, a few years ago. So, you know, data might be different today and, you know, what somebody would recommend for me. Um, But I did do that because I didn't want to pay for another transfer, right? Like, and I was, I was pressured or cost pressured to make that decision. Now, Providers today might not do that as much. Um, but I think that I influenced because I said, I don't want to pay for a transfer again, right? Um, and I didn't think about like, what would it be like to have twins? Or what it, What are the risks to me? Like I didn't... Or think, triplets. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did not think through that process clearly. Um, and then I definitely did not do PGT or PGTA, um, I did not do PGTA during my early IVF cycles because I didn't want to pay another $3,000 for an out-of-pocket test when one of those early cycles ended in miscarriage. Um, mm-hmm. And it was from an abnormal embryo, I mean, mm-hmm. most likely. And so, 
when I look back on that decision, I wonder, was all of that worth it to sacrifice not getting that test? But we see that all the time, even in patients today that don't have progeny. I mean, that's exactly the kind of changes or the decisions patients make. And, you know, it decreases their pregnancy rate by about 15% if they don't pick a genetically normal yeah. embryo, because we just don't know the genetics of the embryo that we transfer. So... Yeah. So for me, those, I would say those are kind of some examples. Um, And I think for any patient that's going through this process, my advice is to just really step back and think about every kind of component of the decision-making process and how it will influence your outcome. Even if you're paying cash, like make that calculation write down. If I pay $3,000, then I, you know, it's going to cost more upfront, but maybe I, you know, prevent myself from going through an emotionally really difficult miscarriage and process Mm -hmm. that comes along with that and think through these decisions because I don't think I did because I was so focused on cost in the beginning. And so as I progressed to having coverage, I was just able to make decisions more clearly that were really focused on getting me to that healthy outcome. Did you hear your physicians differently at different stages in the process? Like when you think about the things you remember from cycle number one, <laughs> cycle number five, and cycle a, number nine. You had a like, number of different physicians through this process. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you hear differently. Um, I think in the beginning, I was definitely less educated on the process of fertility treatment. And so everything seemed big and scary mm-hmm. that I was going through um, and overwhelming. Whereas Towards the end, I was very well educated on the process and knew the ins and outs of every every piece of guidance that I was getting. And I almost at the end could like say, "Well, why are we doing this? What is the reason?" Which <laughs> why you use that dose of FSH this time? Exactly. <laughs> so when you say, I mean, obviously, people who are listening to this podcast are already self educating themselves to a certain degree. Um, and a lot of the reason we started this podcast is because. Dr. Google is like the bane of our existence. Yeah. <laughs> he went to a questionable We spend more school. time talking we people like off Dr. the Dr. Google. Google ledge than we do yes. teaching about all the things we could teach. How, how would you recommend listeners educate themselves about their fertility treatment process? What, what, what are some good avenues to look at and what would you recommend them not do? Yeah. Oh, this is a hard one. Uh, <laughs> so. I think, remember that your journey is unique to you. So my journey is not the same as person that I see on Instagram that has an IVF journey. And I think a lot of times patients try to like assign themselves to another human being and say like, Mm -hmm. oh, I look exactly like that. And I kind of wish I wouldn't have done that as much in the beginning. Um... And just realize like my journey is unique. And yes, you can learn bits and pieces from um, other people, but not try to like mirror exactly what somebody else has because you just have no idea. It's almost like, you know, that all has filters on it and mm-hmm. you can't see through all the details. So I think that, I think there's, you know, there are some resources that are available on YouTube that are actually by fertility doctors. <laughs> Um, that I think are really helpful. So I know that a lot of fertility providers and practices have YouTube channels that actually have really amazing, amazing educational information. Progeny also does. And then like your podcast is a great example of somebody being able to educate on all different topics and pick ones to their likings. Um, so I would say like using bits and pieces of information from different places is really important, but making sure that you remember that 
your journey is uniquely yours. And I don't think that anybody's journey looks exactly the same. It may sound like it, but everybody's kind of path is a teeny bit different. Thank you so much. We are so appreciative of both your expertise and your willingness to share what had to have been really uh, a wild journey over over those nine years. (laughs) Long journey. Long journey. And as as one final note of hope, what are you planning on doing in your family building for the future? Yes. um, I... I cannot believe that I am able to say this, but I am 22 <laughs> weeks pregnant um, and due in March with um, a little baby that, you know, like I, I'm thinking about that question that Susan, you asked about like, what do you want your family to look like? And I yeah. never thought that, I don't know if I could ever see this for myself. And that is absolutely incredible. And like, I know what people are going through that are listening to this podcast. Like, I get it. It is gut wrenching and awful and scary. There's so many words that can't even like encompass what you feel right now. And like, uh, it's almost sometimes a little bit annoying that I'm sharing that I'm pregnant on this podcast. But <laughs> I also believe but that's great. That that's hopeful. <laughs> it is hopeful, yeah. right? It is hopeful that there there are circumstances that you can get through to the end of this journey, mm-hmm. and like. I, you know, was carving a pumpkin with my two-year-old daughter this today. And like, I, I still think about that, this, what I went through to get her, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful for this science, this field, everything that everybody is doing to make these outcomes happen for people, because it's absolutely incredible. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I hope all goes super smoothly. And yes, thank, thank you, you for sharing so much of yourself in in going through this and um and of course to our audience you know thank you so much for listening be sure to tune in next week for more be sure to subscribe leave us a review in apple podcasts we would love to hear from you we're on instagram we're on facebook we also have a youtube channel um, so hop on <laughs> yes. by leave us a like leave us a follow say hello tell us all the things Thank you. And you can also visit us on fertility.sensensor.com to submit specific questions. All questions will be answered on the podcast for our Ask the Doc segment. We'd love to hear episode ideas. So let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. As always, this podcast is intended for entertainment and is not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This podcast is also brought to you by Fertility Pharmacy of America. Fertility Pharmacy of America is a fertility dedicated pharmacy that partners with physicians across the country in order to provide patients with a more personalized pharmacy experience. Pride ourselves on ensuring that every prescription is accurate, delivered in a timely manner, and most importantly, affordable for all patients. A team of trained pharmacists, technicians, and customer service representatives will be with you every step of the way, providing you with knowledge and exceptional quality care for all of your fertility medication needs. More than just a specialty pharmacy, they're a committed partner during your fertility journey. Fertility Pharmacy of America, making miracles happen every day. Please text or call us at 844-449-8767 and reference Fertility Docs Uncensored.